0: Hey, it's Marcel. Let me get honest with you for a minute. We've reached a time in history when building up strong leaders truly matters if you want to grow your business. But managing through fear, command and control, and do as I say ways of managing is not going to get you there. So, what will? In my research, I found that the most effective leadership boils down to six key behaviors. They are behaviors that when filtered down to every management level, can create high performance in your teams and build a great work culture. By the way, this is the new topic that I speak on at company events and conferences and virtual stages all over the world. It's great for keynotes, webinars, half-day or full-day workshops, and leadership retreats. So if you wanna learn a clear and practical framework To help design the best work environment for your people to flourish, this is the way to go, and I can show you how to do it. To book me for your event, visit my website, Marcelschwantis.com, and click on Speaking. Enjoy the show.
1: The future of work isn't about shareholder value, technology, metrics, or automation. It's about being human and putting people first through actionable love. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast where we hold deep conversations with extraordinary people to help you grow as a leader and expand your business. Here's your host, Marcel Schwantes.
0: Hey, thanks for choosing to spend time with us. We're grateful that you are here and if you like what you hear, please share the episode so we can continue to spread the Love in Action message globally. So, if you're a longtime listener, or you follow my thought leadership on Inc. Magazine or CNBC, you know that I'm not a fan of command and control styles of management. Okay, here's the reality. It's quickly becoming obsolete. And, you know, that's the good news. The bad news is that it's still out there. And I know this because, well, you know, I've had to turn around a few of my clients from, Fear and, and fear-based intimidation types of, of operating, you know, in their in their management approach, which caused a, a immense stress and anxiety in people, and people are burning out and quitting their jobs. So, we're able to, you know, bring a more servant leadership style to these companies that led to empowering their people to succeed. And let me tell you, the difference is stunning. Okay, I mean, we're talking about. People are more engaged in their work. Their bosses actually enjoy managing uh, uh, once they're adapting to the the more uh, people-centric approach to managing. So it is a game changer if you switch from fear-based command and control to more of a servant leadership. So my guest today is fully on board with this premise, and I can't wait to dive into this discussion. She says a leader's new power... Yes, leaders still hold power, folks, but that new power lies in their ability to connect. So, whether you're the coach of a sports team, a, a, a nonprofit executive, or you're leading a startup of 12, or the Fortune 500 CEO of 50,000, okay, the secret sauce, she says, lies in your ability to connect. So, while leaders we- Leaders might consciously kind of understand, you know, on the head level that connection is important because it is. They don't quite know how or what to do to bring that down to actionable steps. And we're going to address that today. So to answer all these questions and and so many more, we're going to break down the business of connection by chatting with Dr. Michelle K. Johnston. She wrote a book. Called The Seismic Shift in Leadership. There it is, if you're watching on YouTube. And in this book, Dr. Johnston compiles her years of experience as an executive coach and business professor with the voices of 18 leaders at large and small organizations across the world to give you guys the insights to lead your own companies effectively and really to convince you that connection drives long term results. Dr. Johnston is the Clifton A. Morvant Distinguished Professor in Business in the College of Business at Loyola University in New Orleans, where she's based out of. She received her PhD in Communication from Louisiana State University, and she was named to the prestigious 100 Coaches Group, which consists of the top executive coaches around the world i'm gonna to have to find out how to get on that group <laughs> and michelle now joins us michelle welcome finally to the finally, Podcast. Marcel,
1: it's so good to be here with you i've really been looking forward to this conversation we definitely speak the same language
0: that's great i totally wholeheartedly agree all right we start with this you ready ready what's your story
1: Yeah, I think my story, it it, it is fascinating. Your origin story just drives everything, right? But you don't really realize it until you're older and you had time to reflect. So I grew up as a corporate brat and my father is still alive. He's 78 years old and he spent his entire career with General Motors first with MIC and the insurance, and then he moved over to GMAC and the finance. And so we moved every two years. So I was born in Alexandria, Virginia, right outside of D.C., and then moved to Baltimore, Maryland, and Memphis, Tennessee, and East Brunswick, New Jersey. And then that's when they decided to shut down executive offices in Detroit, I mean, in Manhattan, because that was during the 80s, and move everybody to Detroit. Of course, if you're going to be in the automotive industry, you have to make your way through Detroit and and living in Michigan. it's, It's really a beautiful, beautiful state. And then Nashville and Tampa, Birmingham, Atlanta, Asheville, and they finally retired in South Carolina. So as a kid, I moved around every two years, and we had dinner every single night together as a family. We waited for my dad, who usually commuted at least an hour, sometimes an hour and a half from whatever office he was in. And and typically, our conversation revolved around him as a leader. And him motivating his people and him communicating and him changing the culture. And he was never the command and control style leader at all. So I grew up with this highly relational, very enthusiastic, passionate, beautiful human as a dad. What's interesting about my story is then when I got into the workplace, I was surrounded by command and control. And so I, I didn't have my dad at all. I didn't realize what an an anomaly, an outlier he he was, and and yet to be successful, I needed to you know march to the beat of their drums. And so. I then learned a lot about how command and control creates cultures of fear. It stifles innovation. It silences your voice. And so as I was working my way through academia and just was like, yes, sir, yes, sir, kind of like responding to military drill sergeants, and then I became one. And I still have students who, who see me. I was at a, a, a birthday party recently with a bunch of former students, and they were we were drinking French 75s, and they were saying, Dr. Johnston, my gosh, you scared the heck out of us. We still remember being scared in your classroom. And all I did, Marcel, I just said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And they're like, "No, no, no, you were effective and it was really appropriate for the time and and we appreciate it to this day, but I am not that professor anymore. I was doing what I thought was what success was. Right. And I and I ended up having to become somebody else. So that's what prompted so to end that Question and my story is, is so I, I grew up, you know, became becoming very adaptable and resilient and learning so much about different cultures by moving around and then my father and how to motivate and lead. But then in the real world was surrounded by the exact opposite and then lost my voice for a long time, just trying to become somebody else, which I thought would be successful. And that really all of that drove my research into and my writing of my book, The Seismic Shift in Leadership.
0: So did the research actually bring you back to sort of the the role model that your dad was for you? Yes, you know you got yes you Marcel
1: got yes yeah
0: okay because you're like you got lost in the corporate. I got machine. lost.
1: I got lost, Marcel. And what's really, I wish you had been at my book launch because you just nailed it. I don't think I truly understood the impact of my dad until two years ago when I'm making my speech at my book launch party. And all these clients who I had interviewed are in the room and my leaders, I call them my seismic shift leaders. And I'm sitting up there talking about command and control. And and then I said, Y'all, I realize as I'm talking that I spent all this time researching, trying to figure out what is the perfect type of leader, and I'm staring at him. It's my dad. Right. And I got off stage, and I went, and I gave him the biggest hug. I said, it's been my dad all along. But yet, <laughs> you know, you just don't really realize things until later. So I'm so grateful.
0: Oh, my goodness. I'm going to get weepy here if we keep going. Uh all right, so I gotta get this off my my slate here, okay? Because we're in the sort of the the age of of DEI or DEIB, whatever acronym you want to you know choose with inclusion and belonging in the mix. So, what do you mean by connection in your book versus what's going on with DEI DEIB?
1: Yeah. So when I figured out that the secret sauce. Was connection that the seismic shift in leadership was exactly as you introduced it was that command and control was no longer effective, although still everywhere, but just was not working anymore. And culture of fear stifles innovation. And so we need cultures of connection. So when I realized that, and went on my quest, I I would have written the book if I knew what the answer was. I mean, I wrote the book, but I would have written the book without all those interviews if I knew what the answer was, but I didn't know. I just knew it was connection. I knew what it wasn't, And I knew kind of what it was, but I wanted to learn more, which is why I went around the world in my studio interviewing all of these great leaders to try to figure out what is connection? What does it sound like? What does it feel like? What does it look like? What do these leaders do differently to truly meaningfully connect with their people? How do you create a culture of connection? So I learned quite a bit. and What I learned is that the definition of connection is do your people that you lead, do they feel seen, heard, valued? respected, Mm. and appreciated. Mm. Those five dimensions. So we're asking a lot from our leaders today, Marcel. If you think about it, whenever I teach a leadership class, right, we sit there on the whiteboard, tell me everything, every characteristic it takes to be a successful leader. And of course you have, you need a visionary, you need a motivator, you need somebody who's results oriented, and they need to be empathetic and compassionate and a great listener and a servant leader. You're like, whoa, this is a lot. We're expecting a lot from our leaders. So At the end of the day, you have to figure out right now, how can you communicate and lead in a way that makes your people? It is a feeling thing. I wish it weren't, but it is. How do they feel? Do they feel seen, heard, valued? Respected and appreciated. So once I figured that out, then I learned strategies of yeah. always begin a meeting with a connection question. Don't just dive into the agenda, right? Make sure that you embed time if you're in an off, um, if you're in a totally remote workforce to come together and have quarterly meetings and we can talk more about that face to face is vital. And so it's it's almost like Once I knew that connection was the answer, we as leaders have to have to disrupt everything. How we work when we come into the office, how we work if we don't have an office and we're looking at our operating rhythm and the amount of Zooms, what do they look like? Are they most effective? How are you facilitating them? Everything, Hmm. I think, should be disrupted. So going back to your question of diversity and inclusion, what I learned through all of this research on connection is that connection is inclusion. That that in order to be a leader who really meaningfully connects with your people, you have to be an inclusive leader.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Okay. So the way I was thinking of flowing this conversation is is I'm and I mentioned this offline. Let's let's break down the the book and, and the conversation just like the book in three parts. Do you think that's a good approach? Because I'm think thinking connecting great- has to start with you first, you. which is part one. <laughs>
1: Yes, and and that's what I was seeing. What prompted me to write the book is I'm also an executive coach, and so I was seeing some of these leaders that I was working with just get pushed out of the organization. I was trying to figure out why, and this one particular leader was a fantastic case study, and the good news is he learned, and he rebounded, and he's somewhere else really doing well. But at the time when I was observing him as a leader, he was a perfectionist. Mm -hmm. And he required perfection of himself. There was never a hair out of place. He had the, I don't know what he did to whiten his teeth to get them that white. He was totally fit, ran five miles a day, his suits were tailored, his shoes were polished, and he was a brilliant presenter. So you would see him up on stage. At one point, he did work at GE under Jack Welch. So this all makes sense, right? right. Um, and and so he just he had to be perfect. And then what I would see when I when I was allowed to see into how he led his meetings. He demanded perfection of others. Mm. And then what I would hear from the people that he led is not only did he set high expectations, but then he would shame people if they got something wrong in front of others. And he inadvertently created a culture of fear. And it absolutely not only stifled innovation, but it created anxiety and stress and real mental health. Negatives with his team. So that's when it all became very, very clear to me that the reason why this leader was getting pushed out because he lost trust with his team, he wasn't connected with his team, and he wasn't able to do all of those things because he wasn't connected with himself. Wow. So you're absolutely right. It all goes back to your connection with self. Do you allow yourself to be imperfect? and to be a real human and to show up with a hair out of place and 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 to occasionally make mistakes and and to build those bonds with your people that's what i realized that was a huge shift because when i was brought up you you just your professional life was your professional life and you don't go personal your paycheck was your reward work was work it was a very different business model back then. And all of a sudden I was realizing Marcel that that old business model just wasn't working with the new generation. They're like, we don't trust you. You're fake and you're mean and you're mean and we don't want to work for a jerk boss. And, and their voices became louder and louder and louder and the jerk bosses started getting pushed out.
0: Mm -hmm. You also said that, uh, you know, if, if we're going to, learn to connect with ourselves first we have to own our story or our narrative break that down what do you mean
1: well i love that your first question to me was michelle what's your story because whenever i facilitate an executive meeting i begin with connection with yourself is two things own your gifts which to me is own your story and then own your gifts. so i guess it's three things own your story own your gifts and give up perfection If you can do those three things, then you can show up as an authentic leader. And a lot of people also get confused about authenticity. One of my chapters is on authenticity. I'm not saying self-disclosing, coming into work every day saying, let me tell you everything about my life. Nobody wants to hear that. You have to be professional. You have to be appropriate. But you have to know yourself well enough to know and to be connected with truly who you are so that you're not wearing a mask of perfection like the leader I just described that leader showed up every day and felt and and could and and was had very many struggles in life but would show up and put this mask of perfection on and that's when I learned that perfection equals disconnection think about that perfection yeah. equals disconnection disconnection if you hold yourself to having to be perfect, then you're not going to allow others to be imperfect. And then there's the complete disconnect. So yes, it has to start with you. You have to own your story and, and also the own your story. I want you to do that in a safe environment. So whenever I go and facilitate off-sites and team retreats, I try to create a psychologically safe space. I was just with Amy Edmondson in London, London for the big Thinkers 50 meeting. And Amy Edmondson, who coined the term psychological safety, she's a Harvard professor. She just won the big Management Thinking Award again for the second time in a row because psychological safety is so important. So when I say own your story, again, it's not getting in the elevator and blurting it out. But if you really want to build trust and safety and team cohesion, then then embed time to do an offsite with your team, bring in a facilitator, and begin with the question of what's your story. And have each of your teammates go around and share the origin story because then you're more likely to trust them and you're more likely to form that connection than if you have no idea where they're from and what makes them tick.
0: Another one that this one really really got me is, um, you know, leaders all have different styles of communicating. So it's what you, what you would call your dominant style of communicating, and and you said that we have to own that too, right? To connect with ourselves, we have to
1: kind of own how we
0: communicate with others.
1: I was just in Austin facilitating a team retreat for one of my clients. And that was the most powerful part of the session, Marcel, is I had them go through the communication preference profile, which I developed years ago on my first sabbatical because I knew from what my clients had been telling me that communication was where the most breakdowns occurred. So I, I just came up with this 25 item and ran the statistics, and they were valid, and they were reliable, and it's called the communication preference profile. And just by answering these, these quick 25 questions, you figure out... Your dominant style. Do you mm-hmm. show up as a people-oriented communicator? Are you more concerned about relationships in the way that you in the way that you speak and the way that you listen, or do you show up as your dominant style as an action communicator, where you're th- when you're listening, you're listening to what do I need to do, and mm-hmm. then when you're talking and speaking, you're speaking is this is what you need to do? So it's a very results-driven, bottom-line communication style, or. Do you show up as a content communicator? Is it all about information and data and research? And and that type of communicator is so different because they're just listening for, for, for holes in the argument. They're listening for, is this person credible? And and when they talk, they talk all about research. Or the last category is technology. Are you all about efficiency? Technology communicators really don't want to meet face-to-face. They really don't want to talk on the telephone. It's not that they're addicted to their phone, but they're driven by efficiency. Just let me send you an email or let me send you a Slack message or let me send you a text and and get it done. But I really don't care about meeting face-to-face. And we spent so much time. We did the speed, speed dating exercise. So there were seven people on this executive team and each person had to pair up with one other person and interview them. You know, what is your dominant style? What's your superpower? And are you in a role right now to really utilize that superpower when it comes to communication? What's your biggest challenge? What do we have in common? And what's one thing you want me to know about you that I don't? And then the time would go off and we'd go to the next person. That took an entire hour. And afterwards, they just sat there and they said, my God, now I finally know my team. (laughs) <laughs> and this is this is a, a a workforce that do they do not see each other except for once a quarter in person. So they're finally together in person. And now, and now they really know each other. And, and what we what we concluded after that exercise, Marcel, was that spending that time together, really getting to know each other and communicating, you really can't put an ROI. What is the return on investment in that? Almost limitless. Because yeah. now you're going to have this incredibly safe environment. When they show up on Zoom again together, they're going to say, "I see you, I hear you, I know you, I value you, I respect you, I appreciate you," and and the sky's the limit when it comes to what they can achieve now. But you got to embed time to do it.
0: Right? Tell me if I got this right. Because once you know your dominant style of communicating, you're 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 being true to yourself. You're not f- trying to. F- fake your way to you know like you said if you're a technology driven communicator you're not going to fake your way to try to sit down with somebody and have an hour one on one you know to to discuss two points but i also thinking that the flip side of that is that you also understand your coworker or or partner or colleague's dominant style in order to maybe help to help to communicate a little more to their style, you know, your style, but now that, you know, the other person's style, it gives you a, an edge to communicate to their style so that there is less breakdown and
1: conflict. Exactly. And one of the things I've learned, which is disappointing in the human race is as humans, we do assume the worst without the information information. So if I don't know, Marcel, that you're Mm. a high content communicator and you just really care about the research and I'm high people. And every time we get on a call, I want to say, Marcel, how was your weekend? You're like, it was fine. Let's talk about the research. Then I would get my feelings hurt because I don't really know what drives you as a communicator. But the more you know about somebody else, then you're not going to assume the worst. Like I would have assumed Marcel does not like me. At all. Or somebody, I'll give you an example. There are a lot of leaders I work with who will say, I read everything. I just don't respond. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Humans assume the worst. If you have 10 direct reports and they're sending you text messages in the morning and you're not responding to any of them, they're going to assume that you don't like them and you're gonna, they're going to get fired you have to respond right and, and 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 that's just the little thing right i say to to respond is to respect but then to go further and and we talked in that austin retreat we also talked about visuals that an action oriented person is a triangle so they drive things so they're like this let's just get it done they're going to hop on a call and they'll be like great to see you boom let's get let's get the tasks accomplished and then uh people communicator is a circle and they just want to spend a lot of time like circling up and creating this positive environment. Right. And and then sometimes there's the wall and sometimes the technology person who really doesn't want to talk or doesn't want to speak kind of forms this wall and that defensive. And so if the, the more we know about each other, again, we're just not going to take it personally that you just want to drive the agenda and that if we have five minutes at the very end, then maybe we can talk about what we did for the weekend that would give me
0: satisfaction. Yeah, I get geeked up on the whole per- I'm big on personality theories and, and and personality types and all that. So I appreciate the the extra insight on that. Um okay so basically to boil down the the c- you know connecting starts with you. It's understanding who you really are understanding communication style. Stop being a perfectionist and don't don't demand that other people be perfect <laughs> like you there's no, 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 no person is perfect. No leader is perfect. So we have to come to that understanding, right. And, and kind of eat some humble pie. Okay. You're, nobody's perfect. But, um, but more importantly is, I think it's just the self-awareness piece is to bring that, you know, to, to connect with yourself and, and understand who you are, your story, your beliefs, your values. That's what I'm getting from Correct. connecting with yourself. Correct. Yeah. All right. Shall we make the jump? Let's go. The, okay. So the next the next part of connecting is well, once you uh once you pull back from just yourself, you now bring in the team. So it's connecting with your team.
1: Yeah. And what I've learned a lot from the leaders who are really good at connecting is the first thing you need to do is listen to lead. And Boise Bollinger taught me so much about this. He was a man ahead of his times, big time. Um, I'm pretty sure he's he's in his late 70s now and he sold his his shipyard company. So it was a very kind of old school style of company. And he realized, my gosh, the only way that I'm really gonna understand my people is is to do listening tours. So he was one of the very first successful CEOs, owners who every year began his year going on listening tours to all the shipyards. And he wouldn't even allow the supervisors to be a part of it. It was Boise and his frontline people because mm. He, he would spend, so say it was an hour speech, he would spend like the first 15 minutes giving the vision and the plan and kind of the, you know, what we did really well. And, and here's some of our success stories and, and here's what I want to do moving forward. But then the 45 minutes was, and now I want to know from you, what can we do to help you more? And one of the things he shared with me is he never would have known. And this was a precursor for very much what the younger generation needs right now is, and maybe that just shows that everybody needs it. They want to know how do I succeed in this company, and and what's the path to get there. And so at that time, he didn't have a large HR department. He didn't have career development and trajectory plans, you know, in place. And he said, "My gosh, if that will give you a peace of mind, and you know that if what's important is to make an extra hour, an extra dollar an hour, this was a long time ago. You know, I, let me give you the path." But he never would have learned that unless he had just been one with the people. So that was that's one of the chapters in in connecting with your team. Is particularly as a new leader, go on a listening tour. Mm. Don't come in blazing and charging with here's what I want to do and here are the changes that I want to make. No, just have one-on-ones, have small group meetings, listen, listen, listen. So so I have a leader, Pete November, who's the CEO of Auctioner, and it's about a 40,000 person company. And What he did when he came in as an executive, and, and I was his coach, so I got to be a part of a lot of these meetings, he said, Michelle, he goes, I'm an introvert. He goes, I'm high people. I had him take my communication preference profile. He goes, I'm high people and I'm high action, but I want to lean in with the people component. I don't want to talk for an hour and a half of my of my meeting. I want to listen first. So The 80-20 rule, he turned upside down. Most leaders come in and 80% of their time, they talk direct, talk direct. You know, direct the people what to do, and then the very end they say, "If there's, any, are there any questions?" And then that environment is not one that they feel to speak up. So Pete did it differently. He goes for eighty percent of my meetings. I want it to be all about them, and at the very end, I'll speak up, I'll give feedback, and I'll tell them what they need to know. And that's been brilliant. So Marcel, I think connecting with your team, the the foundation of that is is truly turning. The speaking, listening um, equation upside down.
0: Yeah, well, it goes without saying. People already know this. Uh, I'm a proponent of servant leadership. I've I do workshops on it. I speak on it, etc. So, talk a little bit about that. You have to act as a servant leader to connect with your team.
1: So I learned a lot about servant leadership that again, that old command and control was just about having to, to direct, 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 talk, 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 and be in all the details. And then it just didn't give your your team, your people space. It didn't yeah. empower them. It didn't motivate them. So what we found with servant leadership is, is you need to have the orientation. I'll never forget um, Dave Calicod, I He was the CEO of uh, another hospital system, and I interviewed him, and he took an organizational chart. I went to his office, and he said, the first thing I do, and he was, uh, he was an executive for a lot of different companies, he said, the first thing I do, I take the organizational chart, and I showed them in one of my first meetings, I said, typically the CEO is at the, at the top, but I'm turning around. I'm at the bottom because this is all about you. And this is the way I see myself as your leader. My job is to help you be successful. My job is to develop you. My job is to remove barriers out of your way so I'm a servant to you. And and I loved that visual in that, that they got to see, oh, wow, he's not just this big egotistical person at the top. He actually is here to make our lives easier to do our jobs. So, yeah, again, I think this is just a whole switch in mindset. The servant leader is much more of the leader as a coach, the leader as a facilitator, and the leader as a listener.
0: All right. Should we move to the, the third part or do Let's you have go. anything else? Okay. So pull back even further. And now you you look at the organization sort of as a whole. And now the question is, how do we connect with an organization, with a company?
1: And this really stumped the band when I was in my research stage because I didn't know the answer. How in the world do you connect with your entire organization? That seems so daunting to me. I'll never forget. I was sitting down with Warner Thomas, who's now the CEO of Sutter Health out in California. And I asked him that question and it just came out of his mouth so fast. He said, well, connection with the organization is all about owning your calendar. I said, what? He goes, yeah, it all goes back to the leader. He goes, you are only as successful as your calendar. I said, okay, walk me through this. He goes, well, think about it. How in the world do you connect with the entire organization? You have to figure out who are your key stakeholders that that you need to be successful. Okay, so write all those key stakeholders down and then look at your rhythm and figure out how often do you need to meet with the key stakeholders and in what form or fashion. So, do you need to have once a year that he would do huge leadership meetings with all of his employees? And he said, so we would bust them in. So, once a year, do you need to get with everybody in the same room, thousands and thousands of people to share your strategic message? Yes, yes. Of course, this was before the pandemic. And now he does that on Zoom. Right. But at the time they got everybody in and they would do it in in a week session. They would bring in 5000 people at a time so that Warner could share his strategic vision in person. So So then, so that's the broad lens, right? And then you kind of zoom in and say, how often do you need to have town hall meetings? How often do you need to have customer focus groups? How often do you need to meet with your executive team and how should that look like? And not even how often, but how many hours? You have to do one-on-ones. One-on-ones with your direct reports are the key to connection. So what's the best way to do that? And I had a different leader who said, Michelle, you know, it occurred to me. This was, she's brilliant. She's the chief compliance officer, Eden Ezel. She goes, It occurred to me that my one on one meetings with my executive team are all about me. I said, What do you mean? She goes, Not the meetings. She said, I just realized that I'm the one who scheduled them. I scheduled them once every other week for an hour on Zoom. But it, but it occurred to me, but maybe that's not what they need to connect. So I sent them an email. I said, you tell me, do you want to meet face-to-face? Do you want to meet Zoom? Do you want to meet once a month? Do you want to meet every two weeks? Do you want to meet every week? What, what's the best way for you to feel connected to me? And she said, wouldn't you know, each person had a different preference. One is an extreme extrovert and said, I have been living during the pandemic lockdown, whatever, for two and a half years with small children. Can we please get me out of the house and can you meet me in a coffee shop? Another another man said, Eden, love you, but could you just give me a call once a month? That's all I need. So they each had different needs. And, and I think that's really important is to understand who you're leading how they prefer to be connected to, but really owning your calendar. And the last thing I'll say about that, and this comes back to Warner, he said also, he goes, I have a lot of my executives. I put a lot of on their plates, and they come back to me and say, Warner, all I do is I'm in meetings all day. I don't have time to do my job. And I say, I look at them, and I point my finger in and I say, that's on you. You, I'm paying you for your brain at this level, so you need to own your calendar and make those 60-minute meetings, 30-minute meetings, and have an afternoon at least one day a week to to be strategic, to be creative, to think, because that's what I'm paying you to do. So don't get trapped into having your calendar own you. You have to own your calendar. And that was the biggest, biggest lesson in, in organizational connection.
0: I love it. Okay, I know this is in your book, but I'll set it up like this. So, to connect with your organization would imply that people have to connect with each other in the organization. And to do that, you have to have a strong culture, you know, a positive culture. And that's part another part of how to connect with your organization. Talk a little bit about that.
1: I learned a lot, speaking of chicken, speaking of fried chicken, uh, another best practice case study is Raising Cane's Chicken. I don't know if you have any in Chattanooga. But Todd Graves started it at LSU, in the gates of LSU's campus, because he was at the University of Georgia when he was an undergraduate, and I was at Auburn. We're the same age. And Guthrie's Chicken was so popular. Every game, football weekend, the lines would be around the block. And he worked for Guthrie's, and he asked the family when he graduated, I want to do franchise. I want to start at Guthrie's. Back at LSU, we don't have that. And they said, oh, we're not interested. We have one at Auburn. We have one in Georgia and Athens. We're done. And he said, Well, I'm going to go ahead and I'll do my own. So he went and he opened up his first Raising Cane's chicken. And he wanted to do it differently. Even though it was fast food, he he wanted to, and, and even though he's still hiring minimum wage workers, he wanted it to be a fun, positive environment where there's cool music, where there's levity and laughter. If you ever go through a Raising Cane's drive-through, I mean, each person who's taken your order is allowed just to be funny. And they say like, cluck, cluck, and they give you know chicken jokes every day, and they laugh and have fun. And they're all about customer service, and they don't wear polyester nasty uniforms. They're cool. And he just wanted to do it differently. The product was the same, but he wanted to create a really positive environment. Let me tell you, Todd Graves has crushed it. He's in Bahrain, he's in Saudi Arabia. They're opening it and they're opening Raising Cane's Chickens in every single city that I know of. And the lines are around the block. And he said it's because he creates a positive work culture where people just want to be there.
0: Yeah. And, you know, um, Michelle, it starts at the top, right? You have to you have you
1: have to champion
0: if you're the CEO or senior leadership team, you have to champion what you want to see as that culture, right? it and and then obviously, then, uh, as you create the conditions necessary for people to connect with each other, you're connecting with them <laughs> since it was you're the one that's championing that cause, right? in and designing the 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 whatever the Definition of your culture is the values that you espouse your uh, or uh, aspire your employees to to operate by, et cetera, and how you interact with your customers and other stakeholders. I would imagine that that has immense connecting uh, power there if you're the leader.
1: Oh, absolutely and you're right it does start at the top and one of the things that Todd does so well and 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 I honestly think that this is a part of our future which it hasn't been stressed enough is he adds laughter and levity. He makes it fun. Right. And and ha- can you really when you go into a fast food restaurant there rarely do you feel fun. You're there because it's quick and it's cheap and but it's not necessarily fun. And I really think that that that's the future. We have to, as humans, as we humanize work more and more. That was my big takeaway coming back from London two nights ago from this big Thinkers 50 meeting, the top thinkers in the world with artificial intelligence and chat GPT and the metaverse, and none of that's going to slow down. We have to humanize business. And we yeah. have to do it in a way that capitalizes on to be what it means to be human, to bring in care, kindness, and compassion, and levity and fun. We have to change the way we think about work.
0: That's good. That's good. Well, a lot of companies are going back to the office with those uh, return to office policies that they're mandating employees now. But a lot of them are still going to be hybrid and some remote. So talk to the hybrid and remote leaders. How, what's important in in, uh, in the mindset of connecting or the practice of connecting? How do you do it effectively?
1: Yeah, two things. Number one, um, I do think that in a remote workforce, you do have to invest the money to bring your people face-to-face at least once a quarter. That's what we're mm-hmm. finding is successful. Nothing takes the place of face-to-face. And as I just said that, I realized that's a rhyme. Nothing takes the place of face-to-face. So you have to invest in your people, number one. Um, Number two, you do need to begin meetings with a connection question because that's what it means to create a culture of connection. It needs to be a little bit more at a personal level. So you have to show your people, like I said, the definition of connection. Do they feel seen, heard, valued, respected, and appreciated? Are you making sure that you're doing those things? And if so, how? And a lot of my leaders have given me pushback like what? I've got this big agenda, I've got all these things I need to accomplish. You're telling me in one hour I also need to ask them a connection question. And I say, Yeah, you do. And maybe it's at the end, maybe it's not in the beginning. Maybe you just go ahead and say, Okay, we've got we've got to hear updates on goals and on strategy and on product design. And at the very end, I really want to know. Um, say it was Halloween, you know, what your kids were for trick or treat. Just show them that you see them as more than just the the money that they're bringing into your unit that you see them as a father as a mother as um as as, as a full human and you yeah. do that through connection questions lastly uh what what we just talked about in austin was since so many meetings are task oriented and there's in in on zoom there's not a whole lot of of ways that you can have organic brainstorming the organic stuff just doesn't happen naturally so they came up this particular company and these leaders came up with the idea of just start embedding 15 minute check-ins So when you see a 15-minute check-in pop up on your calendar, you know that it's not about business. It's not about agenda. You don't have to prepare any slides. It's just somebody on your team or somebody in the organization or your leader popping in for 15 minutes just to do the personal, the relational check-in. How are you? What's going on in your life? I think that should be a real best practice and a trend.
0: I 100% agree. And I, I often tell my own clients to do that as well, to have the have the check-in questions and make it not about work. Yeah. All right. Well, Michelle, what's your ultimate hope for uh, people reading your book?
1: I want them to recognize that this connection, it's a little elusive to some people and it's a little soft to some people. And I want them to recognize if you embed time to connect Connection drives results. And I want them to remember that connection is what drives results. So if you are a result oriented leader, which I hope we all are, and you want to accomplish your goals, you got to go back and embed time to connect because connection drives results.
0: Beautifully put. All right. As we wind down here, I pose you the leadership love questions tradition on the show. So, how do we lead? our businesses and our employees with more practical, more actionable love day in and day out.
1: I love that you asked that question. Um, Love is becoming more commonplace uh, in the vernacular of of workplace language. and, And I'm really appreciative of that. I never thought that it would happen. One of, um, as I said, I'm a part of 100 coaches, and Marshall Goldsmith and Alan Mulally are very close. So I was in Nashville at a meeting with Alan Mulally. Alan Mulally was the president of Boeing, and then he was asked to turn around Ford Motor Company by Bill Ford himself. And this was in the 2000s, and he did an incredible job, Alan Mulally did, and turned Ford around. And what his mantra is and what he coached us on is the language he used was love them up. He said, I talked about love when love was not allowed to be talked about, but I absolutely believe it to be the essence of any positive culture. So on my executive team, the the phrase I used is that we're working together. And he said, I had a coach. Marshall Goldsmith was my coach. And I shared what I was working on. And I wanted to know what they were working on. And I wanted us to love each other up, which meant I wanted to, them to know that all boats rise together, that that we're doing this together. Let's be transparent and honest. None of us are perfect. And let's just support one another and be the best version of ourselves that we can. So it's working together and love them up. And I
0: love mm. that. And I love that. That's that's great great example. All right. We bring it home with two questions as we do with every guest. Personally, what's really tugging at your heart right now that you'd like us to know?
1: I want us to go back to the basics. Again, just coming off of this big London intellectual stimulating meeting of the best minds out there. um, It really is going back to the basics. I think a lot of people coming out of COVID and also with social media and the younger generation just not really doing a great job connecting I think we need to go back to the basics and lean in and show people that you're interested in others, you're inclusive of others, you're curious in them, and we need to relearn how to just ask questions that show that you're interested and you're curious. Mm. And that's how you build bridges and that's how you form cohesive teams, getting to know each other on a more personal level.
0: Love it. Finally, Michelle, you close us out with that one thing that keep will that that one takeaway to keep us inspired.
1: I think that right now, we as leaders, we all need to figure out how to build cultures of connection. We need to re- think how we show up as humans, the energy we bring into the to the workforce, whether it's on Zoom or in person. We need to think about how we work when we're together, what the working environment is like, just even the, the, the office environment. Are we doing it in a way that promotes collaboration and promotes connection? I think we need to rethink everything and really focus on creating a culture of connection.
0: Michelle, you've taught me a lot of new things that I was not aware of. And uh, I am blessed by I know our listeners are going to be blessed by this conversation time and time again. So thank you so much for uh, joining us and uh, empowering us with your message.
1: Thank you so much, Marcel. You were just such a fabulous host. Thank you for having
0: me. (laughs) I appreciate that. And hey, if people want to connect with you, where can they go?
1: michellekjohnston.com. I would love to hear from you all. Why? Because I'm still trying to figure out how do we create cultures of connection? What does that look like, sound like, feel like? And so please give me your suggestions. Send me. There's a form that you can um, reach out to me on michellekjohnston.com. And I'm also launching season two of my podcast called The Seismic Shift, where we're exploring all of these seismic shifts that are happening and how best we can um, adapt and capitalize and and be successful. So I would love for you to follow me and find me on LinkedIn and send me any input that you have.
0: And folks, you can keep this conversation going on social media with hashtag love in action podcast. And also look for my show notes as well as a YouTube link to this conversation that you can watch. And you can find all that, including all the information about Michelle. I'm going to make sure that that's there as well. And you can find all that at MarcelSchwantes.com. And finally, hey, if you're interested in sponsoring an episode of the show, let's chat. You reach me on my website or find me on LinkedIn. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Love in Action podcast. If you enjoyed today's
1: episode, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review. Until next time, don't forget, the future of leadership is love in action. Believe it, practice it, and watch your business grow.